Hello everyone to the second episode of Let's Talk About It. Today we're focusing more on feminism, misogyny and misandry along with the patriarchy. Now due to audio slash technical issues I will have to be doing some overview on my views and I will also be clarifying my views before entering the topics. First of all I'm a feminist and I'm anti-patriarchy. I'm more spiritual than Christian slash organized religion. Sarah, the anti-feminist millennial on Instagram, is pro-patriarchy, pro-life and a Christian. I am interviewing her on a lot of things including some of those choices. Before we delve into these topics I will be clarifying what I said as there's a strange clicking sound whenever I speak but I don't want to get rid of the authenticity of her take slash views so this will be done differently unfortunately. Um, So yeah let's get right into it. The first question I asked was why she hated feminism and why she was against feminism. This was her response. But my top two, um, I would say that the first reason I really have is that I used to be a feminist. I totally understand where you're coming from. I understand the movement more than I would say most anti-feminists, maybe, um, because I was once a part of it. Um, but I really believe that Feminism within Western civilization, at least uh, modern day feminism within Western civilization, is less about equality and is more about being a victim and about blaming other people for, um, particularly men, for your problems. The second reason is because I'm a Christian and I am pro Western civilization. I am pro patriarchy. I am pro life. I believe that women. And children deserve better than abortion. I am all of these things. And truly, I believe that feminism has become the antithesis of the basis of my faith. I began to ask why she was so pro-patriarchy, confused but also intrigued by what she meant. I explained about how I believed the patriarchy created an inferiority in women and privileged men. We slowly began to talk more about the wage gap and whether she believed in the wage gap, to which Sarah replied. I'm not sure. I'm, oh. I'm still, I just really, uh, I stopped believing in feminism earlier this year, so I'm still, you know, sifting through all of these issues, figuring oh, out what right. I think about it, you know. So That's I think there's a lot of underdeveloped ideas. I have a lot of half-developed ideas. I... I began to delve into my personal feelings about misandry and how I believed that misandry was prejudice without power. I asked her about whether she believed in misandry, to which she replied. I'd really like to know, like, do you believe in, like, misandry and things like that? Yes, I do. That is one of the reasons I'm not a feminist. Um, I, re- I remember just a quick story, um, is that when I was still... When I was beginning to float away from feminism, when I still considered myself a feminist, but when I started to begin my journey of floating away from the movement, um, I was debating with, I go to a very non-traditional high school, and so they open up the dialogue about politics and religion, and they encourage us to talk about it. Um, And it's not like you have forced a belief on you, but they encourage you to talk about it, and they're okay with you openly talking about it and discussing different beliefs. It's truly great. But I was debating with a teacher of mine who was a feminist and I stopped believing in certain things that I used to believe um, like how the patriarchy is just the worst thing in the world. It needs to be dismantled. I stopped believing that. Yes, it has its flaws. I will concede on that. And yes, it's not perfect. And I understand where you're coming from on it, but you know, I stopped believing a bunch of things and I was talking to this teacher of mine who far left feminist. And she said, are we talking about Christianity and how Christianity um, affects feminism and all that? 
And she said, who wrote the Bible? And I said, well, I mean, God inspired the Bible because it's scripture that all scripture is God breathed, but he, but men, they are the ones that read the Bible. And she was like, that's right. Men, they're the ones that wrote the Bible. And that's why you can't trust Christianity. And that seems so trivial and, and small. But for me, that was this moment of when something clicked in my brain and I thought maybe this movement is more, has become more bitter than empowering. And maybe this isn't something I really want to be associated with. Um, so, yeah, I really believe that feminism now, not all feminists, and I, I hate to make a generalization, um, but I really believe it has been sort of built on, or at least the second wave and the third wave have been built on bitterness and anger, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, after we drifted into the Bible and I began to question the Bible about how the Bible talks about wives and submitting to their husbands, she replied saying, And actually, uh, I believe that the men, and I just I really want to point out that I understand the misconception. It took me a while to understand that. I get it. It is a valid concern. Um, it's so it's a very valid concern. But what he's saying is he's not saying submit, like be a doormat, not stand up for yourself. That's not what he's saying. He's saying respect your husband, but he also puts a bigger burden on the husband. And he says, husbands. I mean, people who say wives submit your husbands, most of the time they leave out the husbands love your wives as Christ loved his church. And if husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, then they are to lay their bodies down and lay their lives down for their wives. It is a greater burden on the man. And submission does not equate abuse, right? Oh, okay. That's interesting. I totally understand it. You know, that's a common misconception. And I used to have troubles with those scriptures, but yeah. (laughs) I explained about how I believe the Bible is very subjective. And I believe the Bible couldn't be trusted as some of the scriptures were taking to fit a certain narrative slash ideal and now i believe that the same bible used to keep slaves in captured is the same bible encouraging peace and love and how confusing it was to me sarah tried to explain this to me as best as possible with me i might say something that's incorrect about the scriptures so please just have grace with me while i try to explain this the best i can because it's very convoluted and it's a very valid concern yeah um is that First off, Jesus, um, yeah, Jesus did say, well, first of all, I just want to say that the Bible is perfect. Scripture is infallible because it is God breathed and God is perfect. Yeah. Okay. Human beings, we fell in the garden and we are sinful. So we are not very smart. <laughs> um, and so we have burden everything that God has made, right? Like you can't make mud ugly, right? Mud was always ugly. But you yeah. can't pervert what's good. I mean, you can't pervert what's bad. You can only pervert what's good. So if the scripture is not good, then you couldn't pervert it. Oh, okay. Right? So when, I mean, and Jesus himself, yes, he says that I will give you peace beyond peace that this world cannot give you. Peace that is completely um, unable to be understood in this world. But I did not come to bring peace. I came to, to cause division because the truth is divisive right jesus did not preach love 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 yes he preached love your neighbor but he he spoke the truth and the truth isn't nice you know what i mean like nice and kind are different 
We then moved on to the next topic regarding the Kill All Men movement. I personally explained how some of them are very funny, to which she agreed. I explained how women in everyday society have to deal with these social injustices and the patriarchy as well. I explained although the Kill All Men movement was a harsh rebuttal, it shows the consequence of women feeling inferior. And I further explained how if men get sad and butthurt by three simple words, they are only getting a taste of what some women experience every day. And I also I also explained how kill all men will never really happen. Now it's a joke. And I asked her opinion, to which she replied with... Thoughts about it. I would say that if you want people to listen, then you need to take a different approach, right? And, you know, sometimes it's inconvenient to have to find a, a better way to talk about things, a better way to talk about these issues. But, you know, making a, a hashtag trend that is, you know, hashtag kill all men, that's not what's going to listen, you're going to turn a lot of people away from it. And so I think the way you say something matters, right? You know, the way you say something matters. Um, And it's really, it doesn't, feminism, which I don't think it is, but it might be some amazing, amazing movement that is doing wonderful things nowadays. I think it did do amazing things. I don't think it does anymore, but it might be. But if you're, if you're cover girls or, or you're, I know faces of feminism are saying things like kill all men. People are going to turn away because what's on the inside is going to be, people are going to not want to check out what is on the inside when they look at what's on the outside. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Have I seen a few of those? I can't remember what they said, but I chuckled at them. They were a little bit, they were a little bit silly. <laughs> I began to explain how I thought the statement was slowly being normalized to which Sarah replied, I soon explained how I believe that Sarah isn't against the feminism per se, but against the media perceiving feminism. She then talked about how the Women's March was one of the reasons why she is no longer a feminist. I didn't know what the Women's March was, so I asked her to kindly explain, and which she did. In America, it's basically, well, I, I tend to believe that the pro-life march is more pro-woman than the March for Life. I mean, the March for Life, which is pro-life march, is, seems to be more pro-woman and, and pro-family than the actual Women's March because, and not because you know, it's pro-life versus pro-choice, but it's because of the way the march takes place and, and the interactions that happen at this march, right? Like, uh, there were some pro-life women a few years ago who showed up to the Women's March because they're like, yeah, we think women are better than abortion. Let's go show this. Let is, let's go march for women, right? And so they took the pro-life signs and they're not trying to instigate. They're just marching for women, what we believe to be best for women, you know? And, they're, and you know, they were harassed. Their signs were broken by these radical, crazy feminists, the... Um, there was a female Trump supporter who went to the Women's March, and her hair was lit on fire. Uh, you know, there was a female reporter that went to ask people um, questions about feminism and about what, why they were there and why they believed in feminism. And a male feminist hit her in the face. Right? Oh, wow. Like, it is increasingly violent. And the more I learn about it, it doesn't even seem to be pro-woman more than it's about being a leftist, about hating Trump. I then asked her if she was pro-Trump, to which she said, Always Trump. Never Trump. Just always. Just a little bit sometimes. Ah. 
I explained to her how many feminists claim that you cannot be a feminist with and be pro-life at the same time. And I asked her if she believes that this is true. She replied, saying... Rid of all sayings. <laughs> um, do you think that's true? No. I then replied, saying, how if we got rid of abortion um, laws, per se, this wouldn't mean that abortion is stopped and is rather mean that abortion is done illegally and unhygienically. I'm not sure if that's a word, which would mean more deaths. I also shared my opinion about how I'm against men making decisions for women and how men don't have much of a place making decisions for women. I asked her about her stance on the same subject, to which she said, Mothers deserve to have the right over what happens to their child because I pray outside of the abortion clinic. And, and you know, it's something that's very important to me. This is an issue that is very important to me. And have you, have you listened to a husband beg his wife not to hurt their child because he wanted to be a dad? I know that that might sound, I don't know how that sounds to you, but it's, <laughs> it's just, it's chilling. I get just these horrible goosebumps thinking about it. And I think that we can do better for women and for men and for children. And I think that women and men deserve better. Right. And I, and about the illegal abortions and the, I completely understand that's horrible. But first off, more women died, more women die now from legal abortions than women did during illegal abortions because um, during illegal abortions when Roe v. Wade was being passed. And I, at this time, I know this, that um, Norma, I can't remember her name, Norma McCorvey, I think, or um, most people know her as Roe from Roe v. Wade, Norma McCorvey. She was very pro-choice. She's one of the reasons that Roe v. Wade was legalized. And after she became pro-life, she came out with the story behind the scenes of what they were doing when they're trying to legalize Roe v. Wade. And she said that she'd been sitting in, so this is like a, a front person, first person account of what was going on. And she says that she, well, basically the story was that she had said that she was raped and that she needed an abortion. But she was told that she was manipulated to and convinced by feminist lawyers to lie about being raped and needing an abortion. And that they were sitting there talking about how if people knew the actual amount of illegal abortions taking place, then abortion wouldn't be legalized. So they inflated the numbers. Right. So first off, abortion was in America, at least. I don't know about the abortion industry in the UK or the other countries, but I know that abortion in America was legalized based off of a lie. And our main abortion provider was legalized based off of racism. I mean, Margaret Sanger, she spoke to the KKK, the founder of Planned Parenthood. She believed that... I feel like I'm getting off track here. No, it's okay. Keep talking. Keep talking. She believed that... I mean, she only referred to Black people as Negroes. She wrote in a letter to a... Um, I can't remember who, but she wrote in a letter in, like, 1939 that she they don't want to get the word out. In her exact words. I hate to have to say this, but in her exact words, we don't want to get the word out that we want to exterminate the Negro population, right? She believed that anyone who was not wealthy, anyone who was less than middle class, anyone who was not completely able-bodied, who was not white, I mean, she wanted to abort all immigrants and, and keep black women and any women who are non-European whites. I mean, you know, she wanted to no. abort. She wanted to keep them from having children. And it's so chilling. I mean, I'm talking about it now and I just have, actual goosebumps and the first name of Planned Parenthood was called the Negro Population. I mean the Negro Project. And so she decided that 
And so she, but then she decided, but then she realized that the Negro Project advertise abortion than, um, than choice. All right. Yeah, so it does so definitely far. come from a dark past. Yeah. So I really believe, and I'm not saying that this is you, but I believe that abortion is, has to live on eugenics and racism. That most Planned Parenthoods in America, I think 72% of them, are strategically placed within walking distance of a minority community and that they are taking donations. We have video evidence of a phone call or recording evidence of a phone call where this pro-life group, live action, they do undercover phone calls and undercover um, videos in Planned Parenthood exposing what they're actually doing, which is aiding and abetting sex traffickers. And second is that they are taking donations that go towards paying for an abortion for black babies. Oh, it's sick. I mean, I have goosebumps right now. <laughs> it's so sick. Oh, I don't know exactly the history of abortion in the UK, but that's our history here. I began to ask her a very common question a lot of pro-lifers are asked during these debates. What if the person who wants to abort the child was impregnated by a rapist? She then replied. But it's also the easiest one for me to answer, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I totally understand. That's that is horrible. Um, rape is horrible. You know, I don't think anyone's sitting here except for the rapist saying the rapist is okay. I don't think that's happening, or at least not on a large scale. <laughs> um, it is that first off. On it, I want to just say that every every um every justification or every argument for for abortion can be applied to born people. And it can be applied to fully grown individuals. Um, but first off, I believe, um, and this is just me, that that is a case for eugenics. That 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 five that you wouldn't kill a five year old who was conceived in rape, right? That's just, and that the way you are conceived doesn't determine your value. First off, yeah. second, and now we talk a lot about the baby, but right now I want to talk about the mother. That the mother has already experienced something so traumatic and the mother deserves to be protected i mean she deserves to be protected from the first assault and she deserves to be protected she and her child deserve to be protected from the second assault which is the assault of abortion right and it's a proven fact that women experience post-abortive syndrome and so it's not unraping her it doesn't get rid of the memory of her rape it doesn't get rid of the of the but it commits a second act of violence on her and she deserves better okay right and i mean abortion it doesn't fix these societal issues that we have it doesn't fix the foster care system i've heard that um brought up a lot in the topic of abortion it doesn't fix you know women getting raped it doesn't offer these women therapy but it does hurt them more and they deserve so much better you know it doesn't get her out of that abusive relationship it doesn't fix their financial problems but it does hurt her and her child. I then explained how I believe that the value of life is added the moment you experience life itself and Sarah agreed on this to some degree. I explained how I thought an unborn child can miss, how can an unborn child miss something they've never experienced and how if a person hasn't experienced what it's like to make friends and relationships and be in this world, it isn't really a life. And how I believe that these experiences contribute more to life than life itself. Sarah replied. I agree on, on some level. 
that experiences and relationships with people adds value to life, but it does not make life itself valuable. Yeah. Right. And first off, it is a scientific fact. And you know, I'll be debating abortion. And they'll say, well, you believe life begins at conception, but it's, it's really, it's not a belief that life begins at conception. It's an acknowledgement that life begins at conception mm-hmm. and life. Well, what makes somebody valuable? Does it make them valuable because they're sentient, which sentience, I don't know exactly the timeline for a sentience for unborn children, but is it because they are viable, which is 18, 19, 20 weeks? What makes them, is it, is it the fact that they are a part of the human race and that it is a scientific fact that at conception, when an, when an egg and a sperm meet an entirely new strand of DNA that will never be repeated, that fingers with unrepeatable fingerprints that will never be repeated ever again because there's there will never be anyone else like you is that what makes you valuable i i like to believe that it is and i do believe that it is right all right interesting interesting indeed yeah and that was a very interesting point i never thought of it like that before but um i don't fully agree (laughs) obviously I began to revert back to misandry in feminism and modern-day feminism and how we perceive feminism, especially with the sexual revolution. Sarah explains her opinion on the sexual revolution. Uh, well, so the first wave of fem- feminism happened. We gained our right to vote in 1920. The, the 19th Amendment was um, repe- was not repealed. I'm not the right word for that. But anyways, we gained the 19th Amendment, which was the right for women to vote. Amazing victory. That's awesome. I love that these brave women fought for that so that I can do that now. I love that. Um, but then the second wave feminism, I don't remember when this started. I think this really picked up around the 1960s. I know that this was definitely like the disco era, <laughs> you know, in like the 1960s, 1970s. Um, and the sexual revolution was, was basically this, uh, well, I don't believe there's such thing as sexual liberation, but it was like this, I don't know how to explain it. It was so weird and bizarre and convoluted, but is it like hypersexuality? It was basically when women decided that they wanted abortion to be legal. Is when women decided. I mean, this was really the start of the perversion of feminism, and it when women decided that they wanted to be able to wear whatever they want. Um, I disagree on some levels. Disagree on others with that topic about wearing whatever you want. Um, basically, it was the sexual liberation movement where people. You know what I mean? I don't think I'm explaining that very well. Sarah believes that the sexual revolution was the beginning of perversion in feminism and the death of chivalry. I explained how I believe women can wear what they want and how men have been able to do what they want without a double standard. As I said, why can't men walk around shirtless but women can't? Which is an extreme point slash example, in my opinion. I explained how the sexual revolution in women is a rebuttal to purity culture and how society tried to put an unrealistic perception on women as being innocent and pure to the point where genital mutilation is happening in trying to make women not feel something natural. I explained how sexual liberation in women is reclamation to something that was once lost and something that is still trying to be found. And I explained how some instances are taken too far, but most are still trying to break barriers. I asked her opinion on this, to which she replied. Secular view and I have the Christian view and I sort of connected. Which one do you want to hear? <laughs> um, let's hear both. Okay, so the Christian view. Um, yes, in the beginning of time when Adam and Eve were created, we, Adam and Eve were naked. Because the human body is good. 
The human body is not bad. The human body is natural. The human body is arched. God formed it and God's hands are perfect. And God's plan is perfect and his design is sacred. Right? So it's not because the body is bad, but because when the serpent, Satan, came and he said, well, is that really what God said? Did God really say not eat from that tree? Eve was deceived. She ate from the tree. Adam was not deceived. He did eat. He still ate the fruit. Um, this whole issue about whether or not, you know, it's this whole other conversation about the fall of man. It's very convoluted and interesting. But then we, they were ashamed, right? Adam and Eve were ashamed. And so they covered their body, right? The first thing they did was they tried to sew the leaves together and cover themselves. And then God came through the garden and he said, where are you guys? I can't find you. Which he obviously knew where they were. He's all knowing. But what he was really saying is, why are you hiding from me? I want to spend time with you, right? And he came forward and God was angry. Because, of course, he disobeyed and we disobeyed. <clears throat> and he said, well, now you're going to have to wear clothes. And then he cursed. He, he punished mankind. Where he said, man, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to work for what you for, for your living. And women, you're going to experience pain during childbirth. Right? These were, and then he cursed the serpent. And he said, you will not, you will no longer be able to just have those legs and take those legs away from you. You're going to snither, you're going to slither around on your belly like the snake that you are. Right? So that's is because shame is not always bad. Shame can be bad when you're being shamed for something that is natural or when you've made a mistake and you are sorry that you made it and you're being shamed further than you need to be, right? That's wrong. Um, or when something happens to you that is bad and you're being shamed for something that's not your fault, that's also wrong. But shame is not always bad, right? Shame is what is helps us maintain a sense of modesty, Right? Um, but the, so that's my Christian view. I don't know if that makes sense or that might sound so weird. I know it sounds weird sometimes. <laughs> it sounds interesting. And then um, the secular view is that this is also connected to the Christian view is because God created us. We are innately valuable. We are inherently valuable. Right. So that I think um, first off, but what you said about men being able to walk on shirtless and women not being able to. The thing is that if a man were to walk around shirtless in a grocery store, they would say, you can't walk around like this, you're going to put a shirt on, right? Or even back um, in like the 1950s, they had signs that said, no shirt, no shoes, no service. That didn't just apply to women. <laughs> right? That's true. So um, I don't think that it's this thing where men are just able to like walk around butt naked and women are forced to cover up from ankle to, um, from ankle to neck. I think it's that, right, if a man were to walk around topless at the beach... Um, that'd be okay. And if women were to walk around in a, um, a bra on the beach, that would also be societally accepted now. Um, but also there are nudist beaches where people just walk around. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that really the, um, use of modesty and the use of, of clothing and not being able to walk, um, dress, whatever, dress, whichever way you want, wherever you want, um, is useful for a truly civilized civilization. Sarah then was really interested in my views on gender roles. Your thoughts on, I know that this um, is kind of off topic, but about gender roles, right? I think they're useful and in some ways. I, was I explained how if someone wants to follow gender roles, that's perfectly fine. But if you don't, please don't impose on others. That's okay too. And how a lot of things are changing in today's society and how lines are being blurred and how society is relishing in not having labels and how it's interesting, and how there's no separation without labels, making us become one body, and how we just become people.
I also explained how if men want to take the quote-unquote feminine role of the relationship, it shouldn't be emasculating, and how if women want to take the quote-unquote masculine role, nobody should be against it. I explained how feminism offers the choice if you want to conform to these gender roles or not. I asked her opinions on no labels, to which she replied. And in use in like a in case of gender? Yeah. Um, I think it would be more harmful because I feel like in order to deconstruct all these labels that we have for each other, you would have to deconstruct the way people interact. And like even some languages like Spanish um, have like languages. Like the table is feminine. I don't know. I think the table's feminine and then like the fridge is masculine. I'm not sure. But you know, yeah, definitely. Like, like, I think you would have to like, completely sorry. deconstruct multiple languages. Um, yeah. I, I think that's completely unrealistic. I think it's not natural. It's just not the way people talk. Um, unless you're in one of those, you know, very hyper activism places where everyone is mm. right. I think it's just not natural. Um, but I think that roles are important. Um, not everybody has to live up to them and that's fine that's totally fine but i do believe that there are innate gifts and innate abilities for one given to us by god um that we are just better at and i don't think there's any shame in that but there um but i also understand opening up i agreed with her as she thought that some things women are genuinely better at compared to men as it is a biological fact that men and women's bodies are different and how this isn't sexist. I did, however, disagree when because of how I am biologically built, I'm immediately inferior. Me and Sarah agreed. We began to talk about generalisation and the harms of it as I explained how the left wing perceived people like her very privileged and not understanding to which she agreed with me and how this is not just the left wing side and how the right wing perceived as us left wingers slash more liberal as disconnected. We both agreed and think that conversations like these are important and handy to understand each other. Feminist movement. I had a lot of wounds from things I'd experienced during and before I was a feminist. And because of these experiences that I had and things that hurt me, I had this seething hatred for the feminist movement. I don't anymore. But right after I left it, I was still hurting and I was angry. I was just angry about feminism. I'd get so irritated. But now that I've had some distance um, and I've had some time and I've had, I've opened, and people have opened up the conversation to me people who agree with me, people who don't agree with me, um, you know, like you. And that's, and it helps me heal a little bit. And I, no longer have I still call myself an anti-feminist because I am um but I don't I no longer have the seething hatred for um feminism that I used to and it's because of conversations like this and it's so important we then ended kind of on the conclusion to agree to disagree Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It has taken so long to edit this and write this script. So thank you for sticking around. Please, if you have any questions that you want asking, please message me or Sarah at the anti-feminist millennial underscore 1776 and please share so others can listen if they want to. Please message me if you have any tips and ideas on Instagram at Let's Talk About It with Let's Talk ABT.IT. And thank you for listening. Bye, everyone.